Welcome to the Dietitian's Dish Podcast. We are Gina and Nicole, two dietitian mamas and good friends living in Ohio and Michigan. This is a podcast dedicated to making whole family wellness more fun and less stressful. Whether you're listening in the car or slumped on the couch with a glass of wine, welcome. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us. I'm Nicole. And I'm Gina. And today we are dishing all about your questions on our second Q&A. But before we do that, Gina, what is going on? Okay, so I've got a few things here. So potty training updates. Everyone, they always say that boys are more difficult. And in our case, Cameron was definitely more difficult. But let me tell you. I, we stuck to our guns and we never put a pull up on him. We threw away all the diapers, i.e. gave them to a coworker. And it's been now three weeks and knock on wood, he is fully potty trained. I am so proud of us. We definitely had lots of accidents, lots of poop on the floor, lots of pee on the floor, lots of crying, but three weeks in, maybe three and a half, and he is good to go. In fact, today he finally had a day where he wasn't just, I hate to be graphic here, but I'm going to be. For a while there, he was like, he would sit on the potty and then a little turd would come out and then he'd get up and he'd ask for a candy and then he'd go back and he'd sit again and poop a little bit more. He's finally, because I think he was learning exactly what it felt like to sit on a potty and poop. And he also wanted the the treat, obviously. Uh, he's but smart boy. He's very smart. So we're not giving him the candy anymore, which is great. And he finally today sat and had a full bowel movement on the potty, which I was very proud of him for. We are still putting on pull-ups, which we call underwear, at night. So he's still not night potty trained, but during the naps, he's wearing a pull-up. Or I'm sorry, he's wearing his underwear. And uh, during the day, he's wearing his underwear. So I am just ecstatic. I just hope that there's no regression, but I guess I'm going to kind of assume that there will be because I feel like that's kind of typical. Did your kids yeah. ever have a potty training regression? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Paige, Paige never did. Honestly, I don't, she never went back, but we also started her closer to age three. So I think that made a difference with her, but yeah, I, I will not be pretty surprised. young. I mean, that's mm-hmm. super, that's very impressive. So you should all be proud of yourselves. Well, I'm also going to thank very much my, our sitter because he goes to in her in home daycare. And I mean, she had her eye on him all day and there's only five of the kids and I brought his little potty. So having an in-home daycare, I think helped a lot. And she was, she was instrumental in that, in the whole process. So, okay. So that's that second, we got our new driveway put in last week and I can't wait to uh, post before and after photos on Instagram. I kind of already did a little bit on my Kansas RD Instagram, but it's finally finished completely. They put the end piece in today and then they did our walkway and we did concrete and it just looks amazing. Unfortunately, I didn't actually take a picture of what the actual driveway looked like before. I only took a picture of what it looked like when they dug it up. I am so mad at myself that I didn't take a before picture because the driveway was atrocious. Uh, it was it was kind of just an eyesore from the moment we bought the house, but I knew we'd eventually have to get it redone, but we finally were able to actually do that. And oh my gosh, I mean, it just makes the house look just so much better. The eye, the, you know, the curb appeal is just a hundred times better. So I'm excited about that. Okay, lastly, and I know we're going to do an episode on this at some point in the in the near future. I'm hoping since this is a wellness podcast, a whole family wellness podcast, but marriage counseling. So 
you know, I'm a big proponent of counselors and that everyone should see a counselor, even if there's nothing quote unquote wrong, just to talk to someone. You know, I think it's always a good idea too to have a marriage counselor if you can, even if you just go once a month or once every other month, especially if your EAP provides that benefit, which ours does. So not using it is almost, I mean, it's just not smart. You might as well use it. It's there. So we hadn't been using it. I've been with my company for oh, six years in August and we've never used it. So I decided to sign us up and, you know, not because there's anything wrong, but really just as a preventive mechanism, I didn't want, you know, I, I thought why sign up for marriage counseling when something goes wrong? Why not do it before, you know, we start to have issues. Not that I expect us to have issues, but Anyway, long story short, we signed up for marriage counseling. We had our first marriage counselor appointment on Friday, and we're going to make it kind of a regular thing once a month. And I just felt really good doing that. It was just an hour for us to just talk and kind of have a third-party observer, and I just really enjoyed it. Have you ever done marriage counseling? I haven't, but I absolutely love the idea, and I would eat it up personally if it was Mm -hmm. available to us. Um, Yeah. Counseling tends to be pretty expensive if it's not a covered benefit. Uh, And fortunately, we haven't, quote unquote, needed it. But like you said, Mm -hmm. I think that's such a healthy, uh, just proactive. I mean, marriage is not easy. I tell people that all the time. I'm like, marriage can be really tough. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's great. Anything to help facilitate, you know, I I think honestly that, um, what is it? Five Love Languages, even mm-hmm. reading and understanding that book together was instrumental in our marriage. Just not that it's that. changed anything, but it's definitely helped to just bring to the forefront that understanding of how you feel loved and how you love others. Yeah. I, I, I love that idea. We read when we were dating, I'm not even kidding. We read Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Mm-hmm. And Nick still quotes that book. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Yeah, he was really into it. So we read that together when we were probably two years into our relationship. And I highly recommend that book. There's also a second one by the same author. He probably has more than two, but I only have two of them. And it's uh, how men or how Mars and Venus argue or how they uh, handle arguments. And another, it's another one of those books that I have, you know, highlighted and marked up um, front to back, basically. So Hmm. So we'll I, do a, it's on my shelf. Ahead. I'm going to, I'm going to read it. <sighs> do it. I'm telling you, even if you just read, read one chapter a night or something, it's, you're a good reader. You don't even need me to tell you that. So I, I have a marriage counselor friend. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping for one of our episodes to be just kind of basic, you know, questions about relationships and to ask her, and then we'll maybe do some type of a, of an interview about just general relationship tips. So love it. Yeah. So lastly, before we get into what's up with you, just a reminder to everyone to send your breastfeeding or pumping or really just feeding your infant bloopers or funny stories, because we are going to be doing a whole podcast on just funny stories involving feeding your infant, specifically, you know, for breast, it's actually breastfeeding awareness week when we're going to be coming out with this podcast. But obviously we will take any bloopers involving feeding an infant because it can be a funny and stressful time. So we'd love to hear all your funny stories. Yes, please send. Um, Good. Awesome. What about you, Nicole? Well, it's funny you said that about uh, taking a before picture of the driveway because I mm-hmm. just posted on my way up to the bedroom to podcast. Uh, we are remodeling our hallway bathroom and oh, okay. I took a almost after shot. It's almost done. And I realized I did not take a before picture. 
Isn't that so annoying? I might be able to comb through the 26,000 email or pictures on my phone and find something, but yeah, that's annoying. Now, are you doing your, you, when you say your hallway bathroom, is it the downstairs one or the upstairs one? The, the girls? upstairs one. Uh, okay. Back in October, we had a leak issue there where we had mm-hmm. water coming through the ceiling of our kitchen. And mm. at that point, about eight feet of our kitchen ceiling were ripped was ripped out Ooh. and that got repaired. However, we had missing tile drywall. We had this gaping hole in the girls' bathroom um, upstairs. And uh, since that time, we've had a garbage bag duct taped over the tile. So since October, we've had a plastic (laughs) bag duct taped over the wall so that water didn't get in when the girls were bathing. And we are just now. So it's been, um, you know, 10 months, let's say in nine, 10 Mm -hmm. months. So it seemed like the right time. Uh, (laughs) So we're doing that and it looks really good. What else? What else? Oh, I I just wrote like I'm killing it in the kitchen. I was Mark was in Brazil last week. I think I said that on the last podcast and uh, I just didn't really cook. And so this week I was like, all right, I need some podcast recipe or podcast blog recipes. And Mm -hmm. uh, I just I'm getting busy in the kitchen despite it being beautiful outside. uh, And everything the girls are eating well. I just feel like renewed healthy eating going on in our house. Um, Nice. And that's fun. Oh, good. Perfect. Nothing else. Uh, okay. So should we dive in? I don't really have anything else. There's nothing else going on here. Yeah. Right. It's, I, you know, the end of the summer. It, actually, uh, end of the summer, It's but it doesn't feel, this week it feels like fall, which is something that I absolutely love. Fall is my favorite season of mm-hmm. the year. So we're starting to get kind of hints and glimpses of, of fall, but not to be fooled. I'm sure summer will be coming back with a vengeance here any day, but over the next few weeks, or I'm sorry, few days, it's going to be about 80 degrees, which sounds super hot, but compared to 95 slash hundred, that is just perfect. Sounds so glorious. Thinking, yes, exactly. Perfect. All right. So you're ready to dive into our questions. Yeah. So I'll ask, uh, I'll ask the ones that you're filling us in on. Question one, is there anything wrong with having a drink a night and how much is too much? Okay, great. So I think it's a fantastic question that I know a lot of people have. I think that people easily get caught up in the American Heart Association statement that says that one drink a day for women is beneficial for for heart, for cardioprotective reasons, and one drink a day for men is beneficial. So to put, put that into perspective, one drink equals five ounces of wine. Uh, one and a half ounces of some type of a spirit um, and 12 ounces of some type of a lager or a beer. So it's really easy to get caught up in that positive. Uh, However, let's think about something else and that's cancer. So compared to women who don't drink at all, women who have three alcoholic drinks per week have a 15% higher risk of breast cancer. Experts estimate that the risk of breast cancer goes up another 10% for each additional drink women regularly have each day. So basically it goes up about one and a half points per extra drink. And this is from the American Cancer Society. And just so you know, it's not just about breast cancer. I actually um, spoke with my sister-in-law who's an oncology surgeon who reiterated the information um, that I just just said. She reiterated the entire thing and also pointed out that alcohol is a class one carcinogen. I truly did not know that. I knew that, I mean, if you look up any risk factor for any type of cancer out there, you will almost always 
see two things. One of them is smoking and one of them is alcohol. I had no idea though, that it was a class one carcinogen. So that really was eye opening to me. So I guess the moral of the story is, is there anything wrong with having a drink a night? I don't think that there's anything wrong with that, but just know that it's a slippery slope. Even going back to the the cardio protective benefits of alcohol, even a little bit more than one actually has a negative effect on your heart health. So if you can keep it to just one drink per night, then you're fine. And no, you cannot save up those drinks for the weekend binge or bender. You cannot do that. Um, It's one drink per night and nothing more. Um, But really, when it comes to cancer, my recommendation is if you have that in your family, it's probably best to just abstain or really keep it to a to a small amount, like maybe two or three per week. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's sad. I know. So I think people are probably curious to know how much do you drink, Gina, like in a week? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So here's okay. So I have a general goal to not drink during the week as in Monday through Friday. So that's ultimately my goal. I tend to have a glass of wine when we're podcasting, maybe I I may, that not always. And I also lately have found myself counting Thursday as a weekend more and more (laughs) often, (laughs) which is, you know, again, slippery slope. So I would say, and then I say on average, I probably have two glasses a night on Friday and then two glasses on Saturday night. So I would say in general, I probably have anywhere in the range of five to seven per week. Uh, But, you know, as I'm rereading the answer to this question, I'm remembering that I actually do have a lot of cancer in my family and I should probably consider cutting that number in half. What Mm -hmm. about you? Yeah, I would say very similar. Um, It's, Mark, Mark and I always joke if, if dessert or alcohol is offered, I would, I would always choose alcohol. Um, to me, beer or wine is the, that's deaf. I mean, for me, it's just a taste thing. I personally don't like the feeling of being drunk. Uh, but Mm -hmm. similar to yourself, I I have a pretty high tolerance. I would say it takes quite a bit of alcohol to affect me, which good, bad, indifferent. I don't know. But, um, Mm -hmm. so for me, three drinks is, is not it doesn't feel excessive, but I know that it mm-hmm. is. Um, and mm-hmm. so similar mm-hmm. to yourself, I really try to limit alcohol during the week. Uh, and I've been very bad about that this summer. And I've noticed that the scale has gone up. So I, you know, even in addition to all the obviously health consequences that we've already talked mm-hmm. about, I think, I mean, just caloric density of alcohol is very high. And so that's something to be mindful of as well. Um, right. But yeah, I maybe one during the week. And then I really try and save it for Friday and Saturday evenings. And most typically I'll have like two. So I, I, but I would place myself in that five to seven drink range. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So we're doing, I also drink on Sundays though, because that's hockey night. And if they bring the guys are really cheap though. So they bring like crap beer, like room temperature, Miller light. I'm like, okay, that is easy to say. No, thank you too. Like no problem. I will, I will pass. (laughs) Easy. Oh yeah. Thank you. But no, thank you. I mean, even I'm a beer snob completely, but I also, I would rather have a really nasty beer that's cold than a really good beer that's warm. Heck yeah. Warm beer. I just can't stand it. Totally. (laughs) That's funny. All right. (laughs) Perfect. All right. Next question. This is for you, Nicole. Does activated charcoal really reduce bloat? Yeah. This was an interesting one. So I had some research to do and I did a lot of research. And the interesting thing was it was all very conclusive. Um, 
So I feel confident in giving this this response. So activated charcoal is touted as a detoxifier, an energy boost uh, aid, an aid to reduce bloat and gas, uh, improving skin complexions, and timely from our last question to cure hangovers. Mm-hmm. And so its use is actually medicinal. It is used as a treatment for poisoning. So what it does is it binds and impedes the absorption of harmful chemicals and toxins that are foreign to the body that would be needed in an emergency situation. So I think of, you know, poison control. Oh, my kids swallowed Drano or whatever, like serious emergent situations where activated charcoal would actually be something that was used. So Mm. it issues in using it for I, I, I'll call it a comfort uh, comfort measure to reduce bloat is a couple p- potential issues. One is that binds to everything. So in the GI tract that can, de- it will include vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, as well as any type of medication. So think antidepressants, it could be uh, cholesterol medications, birth control. Uh, so, you know, that's just something to think about uh, with the, with what you want to go is it's, it's going to take it all. So that's mm-hmm. something to make note of. And it's known to cause constipation and nausea. And, uh, there's been really no evidence for the energy boost, uh, the skin complexion or, uh, the hangovers. Cause you know, people using it for a hangover after the, uh, you know, if, if it were taken, if the activated charcoal will take it was taken at the same time as all this alcohol, then mm-hmm. it would serve its purpose. But if you're already hung over, the alcohol is gone. I mean, it's, it's been absorbed. Like it's, it's, it's run, run its course. Now you're just suffering the consequences of it. The activated charcoal is going to do nothing to help that. So, um, is is there some, some tout clout behind the, the bloat potentially, but at a huge possible, uh, detriment to the body and constipation and nausea then could become an issue. So, uh, more helpful for, for bloat is as you know, Gina, a low FODMAP Mm -hmm. diet, uh, getting on a pretty aggressive probiotic regimen, uh, just looking at some other things like that. So overall, I would say risk, risk benefit analysis there uh, errs on the side of absolutely positively do not do it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Awesome. I'm sure the person who asked this question, actually, I'm pretty sure the person who asked this question was asking for her husband. So hopefully she relays this information to him. Yeah. I, once I started researching it, I was like, oh, wow, there is a lot out there on it. So that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I have heard, I've honestly, what I, this was the first time I'd heard about it for bloat. I've heard of people brushing their teeth with the chart with act mm-hmm. I don't know if it's activated charcoal but the charcoal for whitening mm-hmm. for whitening your teeth but other other than that I hadn't heard of actually ingesting it so this was the first time I'd heard of it so you're not the only one for sure my only experience with charcoal is my Mary Kay charcoal mask and the only reason I have it is because my friend Stell's Mary Kay and it looks really cool mm. like it oh, actually nice. looks cool on my face <laughs> I have seen that too you're right I, I kind of forgot about that And it feels smooth afterwards, but I don't know, whatever. I'm not adjusting it, so I feel good about it. (laughs) Exactly. All right, right, Gina, do you think it's okay to never take a day off working out? Okay, so I've got a lot to say here. So I was, I mean, I'm not a a personal trainer, and I don't know a whole lot about exercising other than it's beneficial and that I do it and I enjoy it. So I asked my friend Andrew, who's an RD, who also works as a trainer, and he says it depends on your exercise routine, which I think makes sense. If it's intense, you will want to take a rest day for your body to recoup and for your muscles to 
heal, which again, I think makes a whole lot of sense. A rest day doesn't have to mean no workout at all, and it might not be necessary if your typical routine is low or moderate intensity. So just to kind of give you an idea of what my rest day habits are generally, I have, I would say, um, high intensity workouts two to three times a week, and then low to moderate intensity workouts, I would say three to four times a week. On weeks that I have more than three high intensity workouts, I make sure to take a rest day. Otherwise, I don't always make it a priority to, to take a rest day unless my schedule just doesn't allow me to have a workout. And so that's what kind of brings me to this next point. Keep in mind signs of exercise abuse or signs that your inability to take a rest day may not actually be a good thing. So here are some, some signs of that. Inability to stop working out even when sick or injured. Feeling guilty if you miss a single day. Inability to sleep at night, which could be a sign of overtraining. Paying exercise penance for eating too much, such as running an extra mile because you ate a pizza the night before. Or being afraid that taking one day off will make you gain weight or will cause you to lose all muscle that you've gained or exercise strides that you've made. So overall, a goal of being an intuitive exerciser is also important. Uh, so if you think you need a rest day, just take it. And I want to go back to, I will say there have been times in my life when I have not had a good relationship with exercise, just like I didn't have a good relationship with food. My exercise with, or my relationship with exercise was very poor as well. I think I've alluded to in previous podcasts that I used to be overly obsessed with exercising. I would always make sure to get at least an hour a day of exercise in. I would exercise like what some of these points um, said. I would exercise more uh, maybe the day after I knew I ate too much, quote unquote, too much. I would also exercise when sick. So I know I used to have these um, these not so good habits, but I've gotten much better. I also want to say something that I've read is a, it's a good idea to take an exercise or a day off from exercise when you're sick from the neck down. Whereas when you're sick from the neck up, it might actually be a good idea to exercise. So typically when you're sick from the neck up, that means maybe you have a head cold um, or maybe allergies, but actually exercise can reduce the severity and duration of a cold. Whereas if you're sick from the, you know, neck down, it probably means you're, you know, you've got maybe the stomach flu or even the flu uh, or a fever of some type, and you're probably not going to want to exercise and it's probably not going to be good or beneficial for your body. So keep that in mind. So overall, it really depends on your workout. Um, but if you're really doing, I know the person who asked this question, I think she does Orange Theory. So I think to me, that would be considered a high intensity workout. So my suggestion would be to definitely take a day off from that once a week. But again, it doesn't mean you have to just sit around and be lazy all day. You can if you want nothing wrong with that, but you can maybe just go for a nice little walk or go to the pool and swim a few laps. You can still be active, but just take a rest day from your normal routine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it. All right. All right. Do you find so, yourself, oh, did you have more to add? Oh, no, I didn't. I didn't. Okay. But I forgot this was also both of our questions. So go ahead. Oh, do you find yourself being judged by what and how much you eat as a dietitian? And how do you handle that? Oh, my gosh. I've got so much to say here. I'm going to try to make this fast, Nicole. Okay. <laughs> so, yes, uh, I used to care a lot more because I was also secretly judging myself and not comfortable with my own relationship with food. 
one of my most common comments that I used to get and still actually kind of do at um, sometimes was and is you really eat that much food. So since I tend to eat higher volume, lower calorie dense foods, that's what people always say. It looks like I have so much food on my plate. I can't believe you eat that much food. It used to make me second guess myself as I was healing from my eating disorder, especially. Now I just shrug it off. I also get comments on what I feed my kids, which I feel like is more common now, uh, obviously, since I have children. For example, and I'm sure you get this too sometimes, you give your kids hot dogs. Uh, these comments, I don't think, are coming from a negative place. I really don't. I truly believe people think that registered dietitians have strict food rules and adhere to perfect diets, in quotes, when in reality, they that may not be the case for, that may be the case for some dietitians, sure, um, but not all. And I would say more and more, not most, uh, especially as time goes by and more nutrition professionals are realizing that healthy and balanced eating is not defined by perfect eating and that perfection is never and should never be the goal. Thankfully, more dietitians are promoting food freedom and intuitive eating for themselves and their children. And that's what I believe to be best, as we've talked about on this podcast. This doesn't mean I don't aim to make my and my kids plates balanced, because I do. But it does mean that I don't fret about avoiding foods that have been demonized by the media. I practice what I preach, and I don't preach perfection. And on that note, stay tuned for an upcoming post all about how <laughs> healthy and balanced eating isn't perfect. So really to answer the question, yes, I find myself judged often, but I also think a lot of times it's in my head, but people make comments because we're dietitians. I mean, just the, the second I say I'm a dietitian, people will make a comment about something I'm eating or uh, anything. So it, it happens. That's what, par that's part of being a dietitian. You, we just have to expect that. Yeah, totally. I have a very similar response. Just, I mean, I definitely feel judged at times, but I simply don't care as much as I used to. I've been a dietitian 10 years now. Uh, mm -hmm. and you're about the same, right? Uh, I became a dietitian in 2006. So, oh, so 13, 13 years. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that's, and I think a lot of it has to do with one maturity and two, just that sense of self, uh, kind of where I was, where I am. Um, health at every size types of movements. Um, cause mm -hmm. I, as I've said, I'm overweight. Um, yeah, one, I just view weight as one indicator of health status. And I always say that, um, once people get to know me and see the, the big picture of what I eat, how I exercise, it, just the balance and, and kind of intuitive eating that, mm -hmm. I preach is what I do. Uh, yeah. I think it all kind of balances itself out and they realize that there is joy to be had from food and exercise. Uh, and perhaps that that is way more than weight status, uh, which I think we would agree yeah. upon. So that said, Absolutely. I'm very aware of the perception uh, that others have that maybe dietitians eat in a certain way. And I, I wrote, think kale chips and boiled chicken. Uh, you know, just, <laughs> I don't know what people think <laughs> dietitians eat, but it's definitely not cake. And I was thinking there's some meme that I posted on Instagram a while ago that it was like, what did it, it was you know, a dietitian saying something, a dietitian saying something and nobody listening, a dietitian says something and nobody listens. And then a dietitian has a piece of cake and everybody's on that dietitian, like white on rice, like, what are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. You know, just everybody has something, so you know, true. nobody cares until you take one quote unquote misstep and then you just get blasted. Uh, I, I find it very interesting, especially working in a healthcare setting, uh, as many dietitians do. I think mm -hmm. it can be surprising for other health professionals to see uh, 
Yeah, just that kind of thing. You know, that said, I've I've worked with dietitians who bring their own food to absolutely everything. And, you know, hmm. it's just very rigid. Uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I actually had an intern. This is a little bit of a tangent. I know we're trying to limit those. Uh, he was uh, a dietetic intern though. And he used to eat, uh, he lived in an, like in not even an efficiency. It had no kitchen at all in his dorm room. And he bought a rice cooker and a, one of those teeny tiny mini fridges and a microwave. Uh-huh. And he would eat at every meal every meal, brown rice, broccoli, frozen broccoli, and a can of like pinto beans. No. Every meal. (laughs) I mean, I kind of like that combination, but every meal. But no butter, no salt, no pepper, no dressing, Mm. no, 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 just bored. Oh my God. I would rather, I would rather not eat. Yeah. Yeah. That's sad though. I mean, if he couldn't afford food and that's all I could eat, I mean, that's kind of sad. Well, I, I think there was some, some, something else going on. Yeah. There was a little okay. more to that. Okay. Um, so wait, do you want to hear a time when I judged a dietitian? <laughs> yeah. Was that dietitian me? <laughs> oh my gosh, Nicole. No. So this was a dietetic intern that I had back when I worked at Giant Eagle. <laughs> and I'm not even kidding. Every morning when she came into the door to greet me, she had one or two donuts in her hand that she was eating. Now, granted, I just told you I'm an intuitive eater. I don't judge. I make no comments. But I, ha- I did find that a little strange. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I said I practice what I preach. I don't preach to anyone that they should eat donuts every single morning. I would never. I wish. Um, and you know, I never said anything obviously, but I'm just like, and, and maybe I didn't really watch what she ate, you know, for lunch and for dinner. Maybe she balanced it out somehow every single day, but every single morning she had one or two, and I'm not talking mini donuts. I'm talking like long johns, glazed, jelly filled. Mm, you're just <laughs> making me hungry. <laughs> I know. Don't get me wrong. I was jealous, but I mean, I could have had one too, but I just, I, yeah, it was very interesting. Okay. As good as that sounds, I couldn't do that every morning. Never. I couldn't. I, I would think I would get sick of them. And that would be really sad if I got sick of donuts. That would be very sad. Mm. Okay. So All right. Funny. I'll ask the next question. So what are your favorite lower carb or slash sugar snacks? So your favorite low, low sugar snacks. Yeah. I, I think we went the same direction with this one. Just in that Whole Foods are probably the easiest way to go. I mm-hmm. love cottage cheese, cheese itself, nuts. Uh, personally, just sugar substitutes give me a headache, so I'm probably not the best person to ask. But sticking with Whole Foods, and if I want something sweet, I'll just make it and cut down on the amount of sugar. So for example, yeah. like banana bread or muffins, anything, even dessert items, I'll make what I want and just maybe reduce the amount of sugar or try and swap in a natural sugar, like mashed up bananas or applesauce or something along those lines. But for mm-hmm. me personally, I'll just say that I feel most satisfied when I try and keep my my meals more uh, like higher in protein and a little mm-hmm. bit lower in carb because I just know for me, and again, this is just me personally, I crave carbs for snacks. And to me, a snack is more fulfilling, maybe not satiety wise, but just emotionally, if I'm hungry, Mm -hmm. I tend to gravitate towards carby stuff. And if I kind of cut down on carbs at my meals, and I'm not talking about carb elimination at all, but maybe I don't have 60 to 75 grams of carb at my meals and I have more like 45 to 60. And then that allows more I'm just throwing out numbers. I have no idea. I don't count you, my carbs You sound like at all. a diabetic educator is what you sound like right now. 
can't take it out of me, Gina. I can't take it out of me. Uh, But yeah, that way it just, it just leaves more, if you will, um, looking at macronutrient distribution ranges for me to have carbs at my snacks. So. Yeah, I, I agree with Because those pressed kind bars with chocolate are the bomb. They're yeah, so good. They so good. I'm so glad that they added chocolate to those things because that's what it, that's what they needed. They were just they were they were good with all the chocolate, but now they're actually I believe they're craveable. So okay, that's yeah, what so I've been I, craving. <laughs> those damn <so>, bars. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. You can. There's nothing better to crave than a good, uh, basically dried fruit and chia seed with a little bit of chocolate bar. I love it. So that's a good a good example of a lower carb snack. It's the I think we put a link on our show notes, but it's mm-hmm. the we did pressed kind bars that are dipped in chocolate. They come in a variety of flavors. I always say I I don't I used to look for low carb snacks more than I do now because I've become much more an intuitive eater. I'm not counting my carbs anymore. I no longer have diabetes, so I don't need to look for the low carb snacks. Not that I even did when I was when I was, you know, had gestational diabetes, as long as you can fit it into a certain amount of carbs per day, I don't, I still don't think you need to look for low carb snacks necessarily. But if I, you know, there are still some lower carb and quote unquote, better carb snacks that I do enjoy. So I do like the Nugo Slim Bars. That's probably still my favorite lower carb protein bar. I think it's delicious, although it does have FODMAPs, just a warning. Uh, I also love the Benito's tortilla chips. They're not necessarily low carb, but they're better carb because they're made from the starchy beans. Beans are actually the first ingredient and it's not bean powder. It's like whole pinto beans, which is amazing. I also really love the Chobani Hint of Flavor. Mm-hmm. I think it's Hint of Flavor yogurt. Mm-hmm. It's got just a little bit of sugar, and I feel like it's full of flavor. Uh, I also, oh, I was thinking when I have a sweet tooth, but I maybe don't want to eat a bunch of calories, which never happens. But if it does happen, <laughs> <laughs> I would, because I always eat Grater's ice cream before I go to bed. So uh, it's a fudge pop. I'll get, you know, the 50 calorie, because I love chocolate and I love cold things. So I buy fudge pop sometimes and I'll dip it in whipped cream. So that's like a lower carb, you know, little treat. I used to do that when I was pregnant with Cameron, when I did have gestational diabetes and I had to count my carbs. I used to buy those. um, I think I actually bought the sugar-free fudge pops and dipped Mm -hmm. them in, you know, like low fat or the light or free Cool Whip in the the round canister. So I really like that. But overall, I typically like, like, if I have a sweet tooth, which I often do, never do I go for the low carb, less sugar variety. If I crave something sweet, I'm going to eat something sweet. So for example, I'm always craving ice cream. At at one point in my life, actually not too long ago, I started buying Halo Top and realizing that I actually hated it. I would much prefer eating, you know, a half of the portion of Grater's ice cream, a good, delicious, fatty, rich, satisfying ice cream than a whole pint. I never did, but you know, they say you can eat the whole pint or a half pint of, you know, Halo Top, which still left me wanting more. So bottom line is my recommendation for low carb, low sugar is just to buy the the good stuff and eat less of it. And that'll always be my recommendation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But we put those, um, products that we just mentioned in our show notes, if you're interested. Yeah. All right, Nicole, I'm struggling with infertility and I have PCOS. What I read online about PCOS and diet is contradictory. What advice do you have? Uh, so I have PCOS. Uh, I was diagnosed in 20, uh, 2009, actually. I started experiencing some pretty rapid weight gain. Um, 
I've always had irregular periods and some of the other um, stuff. So I am with you. And, you know, I don't think I thought too much of it until it was time to get pregnant. And I would say that that was uh, mistake number one. So time is of the essence uh, for women in general trying to get pregnant. We become less fertile every day, uh, basically mm-hmm. after the age of, I'm guessing like 18. I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but our fertility really starts to decline a lot earlier than people would guess. And uh, so that's just something I think number one is I would find someone to take it seriously and be aggressive with you. So because it is an endocrine related uh, condition, I would either seek out an endocrinologist or maybe even uh, an endocrinologist as well as a fertility specialist. So I think one thing is to just say that this is probably something that goes beyond diet alone. Mm -hmm. And so seek the advice of a specialist and or endocrinologist, number one. Number two is, and this is something that I've resisted uh, a lot, is metformin is a first line treatment. And that coupled with lifestyle is huge. So a little bit on metformin, and I'm putting a a link in the show notes. It is to a dietitian's blog. It's her name is, uh, of course, it's going to escape me. Oh, what was her? Julie Dillon. Julie. uh, That sounds right. Something like that. Julie. It's it's in the show notes. But she has a great information on metformin as a as a treatment for polycystic ovarian syndrome, uh, kind of coupled with diet because the diet is is very individualized, I guess you could say. And so understanding the role of metformin, not only that it's an insulin sensitizer, uh, but it also helps to decrease hepatic output of glucose. So what we what we know about PCOS is that the male hormones are higher and that the insulin levels tend to be higher as well. And so metformin is going to target both of those things. And that's huge. So a lot of times women with PCOS, and I am certainly one of them, struggle tremendously to lose weight. And about 80% of women with PCOS are overweight. And so moderate uh, calorie restriction to help with either weight maintenance and or weight loss is helpful. And so, you know, where some- when you're trying to get pregnant, right? I mean, I want to be clear here. Uh, this is when you're, or would you say in general? I would say in general, just because okay. the rate of type two diabetes is so much higher in women with polycystic ovarian syndrome that if you can either blunt the weight gain and or help to uh, just try and lose even small amounts of weight, like seven mm-hmm. percent of your body weight, which for a lot of like for my husband, he and who is not overweight, he could do that in a week. Literally. I mean, mm-hmm. he could, he could make that decision and I, and it, yeah, totally. And that's something that I just may not ever be able to do. So I think that that's yeah. one thing is just to be very uh, patient and just have some grace for yourself in this because yeah. it's, it's a lot more than just diet. Uh, but overall, if, if you're looking for kind of some guidelines, moderate carbohydrate is what is best researched when it comes to polycystic ovarian syndrome. So more of a 40% carbohydrate, 30% protein, 30% uh, fat type of diet, okay. and probably more important than just the amount of carbohydrate is the source of carbohydrate. And so things that are complex carbohydrates, which I simply define as anything with fiber uh, from a whole whole source of, of you know, carbohydrate is mm-hmm. best. 
emphasizing lean proteins, unsaturated fats, and again, that that slight calorie deficit to produce, produce weight loss if needed, which is almost always the case. Um, and so when it comes to fertility, again, just don't wait. Find somebody to take it seriously. Do what you can with diet and exercise. Uh, but you know, just anecdotally for myself, I tried to get pregnant for a year um, unsuccessfully. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, by the end of it, uh, if my marriage was ever at a low point, it was probably then, uh, mm-hmm. just cause sex on demand after a couple months <laughs> is not really enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it was at that point that Mark was kind of like, I feel like a machine. Like I, do you even love me? Or <laughs> I, it's, I really felt like felt his emotions come out and it was, it was kind of cute, but at the same time, I was like, we got to get it done. You know, uh, like emotions later, let's go <laughs> strictly business. Um, but after a year, what it was decided was that I had an intrauterine insemination. So it was, um, uh, basically a, a, a turkey based, um, if you will. So that was done in a, in a fertility clinic. And then, mm-hmm. um, after my first child, I was treated with Clomid and got pregnant pretty easily actually with my second on Clomid, but it okay. was, um, fertility tends to go up after your first child. Mm-hmm. Which I've heard before. So that's mm-hmm. my advice. Yeah. That's tough. I mean, my heart goes out to you and yeah. you're probably doing nothing wrong. Um, mm-hmm. If, if having a baby is what you want, just find someone to take you seriously, take their advice. Metformin is probably headed your way. If it hasn't already, um, I would recommend not being like me and being obstinate and not, you know, just not wanting to take it. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, okay, good. All right. Next question. No, are there more questions? Yeah, there's one more. You added another one at the last minute. What are some good... I think you added this. What are some good sources of vitamin D and what is the DRI? So I'll take this one. So uh, vitamin D's main role, I think most of us know this, is promoting calcium absorption in the gut. I actually kind of forgot it was in the gut, but yes, that's what it does. It does seem like every day there's a new study coming out that shows it is beneficial for something else. So some examples are you know, healthy weight, chronic disease prevention is huge. Um, recently, I feel like every day there's something coming out about how vitamin D will help promote or um, prevent, you know, yada, yada, cancer, chronic disease, whatever it is. So the RDA or w- which is typically sufficient to meet the minimum requirements for 97% of the population, it stands for recommended, recommended dietary amounts. I think it's allowance, um, but yeah. allowance, you're right. It's 400 IUs and that's for infants up to 12 months. So after that, it's 600 IUs until about age 70. So most of you listening to this podcast, your recommended dietary allowance is about 600 IUs. Um, also, just to point out, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends exclusively breastfed infants get 400 IUs per day until they're weaned onto whole milk. And I think that's because most uh, formulas are fortified, but obviously breast milk, I think, is is very low in, in vitamin D. Uh, older adults and those with limited sun exposure are at risk of vitamin D deficiency. But even if you aren't high risk, I personally always recommend getting your vitamin D tested by your doctor because more and more people are low in vitamin D. And that's probably because we are so adamant about putting sunscreen on. I mean, I get out in the sun every single day, even in the winter when it's even sunny outside or the fall. And, we're, you know, we're in a nor- you know northern um 
North America, the Northern Midwest. So we don't get as much sun up here, but I still feel like I get a good amount of sun. I do put sunscreen on though, like pretty much all over my body. So, and I'm talking even in the winter when I go outside, cause I know you can still get those damaging sun rays, but those are also the sun rays that will help, you know, help you with vitamin D absorption or getting vitamin D. So I don't really know the how it works. I learned about it when I was in graduate school, but basically when the sun hits your skin, you, you produce vitamin D. I'm not gonna go into it, but if you put sunscreen on it, it blocks that from happening. So that being said, most people actually don't have enough vitamin D. They're not, their vitamin D in their blood is actually gonna be relatively low. I actually had mine tested about two years ago and it was low. So since then I've been taking a thousand IUs per day. So keep in mind the toxicity threshold is relatively high at around 10,000 IUs or more per day. So even though it's a fat soluble vitamin, it's pretty hard to get too much. So I always recommend clients pretty much no matter who they are to take at least 1000 IUs per day um, through a supplement and take more than that during the winter months. So currently now I take around 2000 IUs per day, but I will I will um, preface that by saying, always speak to your doctor before taking a dietary supplement. So as far as sources of vitamin D, there really aren't a whole lot of really good sources of vitamin D, which also might be a reason why supplements are always a recommendation. So milk, and it doesn't have to be vitamin D whole milk. I think people get confused by that. Totally. All milk <laughs> has vitamin D. I mean, I, yeah, I've had people say, well, don't I have to drink whole milk to get vitamin D? No, all milk, all cow's milk. Why is has it vitamin called D. vitamin D milk? Okay, so that's funny that you asked that. I want to say it has more vitamin D than other milks, but I don't know that for a fact. And that they actually add a little bit into skim and 2%, but I do, again, I do not know that for a fact. Okay. So yeah, good question. Um, but yeah, they call it vitamin D whole milk. It's very confusing. All cow's milk has vitamin D in it. And most of the non-cow's milk, the plant-based milks have vitamin D in it as well because they're more and more of them are being fortified. So we talked about that on a previous podcast. More yogurts are being fortified and more milks are being fortified. So I would say the majority of, of milks and yogurts on the market today are fortified with vitamin D. Cheese, however, does not have vitamin D. So keep that in mind. Also, companies are fortifying uh, yogurts, or I'm sorry, juices and cereals with vitamin D. So that's helpful. You can also find vitamin D in fatty bony fish, which I always find absolutely disgusting. I, I cannot stand finding bones in my fish, even though I know that they're so good for us, but oh, it just grosses me out. And also egg yolks, egg yolks. I said yolks. that really funny. Yolks. <laughs> just pass you the crickets. You're going to pass on those bones. Oh my gosh. Bones, crickets. Blah. Uh, so let's see. Oh, and also keep in mind, since I said, like, like I said before, vitamin D is fat soluble. So you will want to consume whatever you're eating that has vitamin D in it and, or your vitamin D supplement with some type of a fatty food so you can absorb it, um, appropriately. So for example, don't just take, just like you wouldn't take your vitamin on an empty stomach. If you're taking your vitamin D supplement, you'll want to take it with, anything with that, like a, a scoop of peanut butter or a cup of 2% milk. Why not? Something with fat in it. Anything else that you want to add to that one? Nope. You That's got a it. boring topic. I haven't talked about vitamin D in so long. <laughs> it's funny you say that because I actually talk about it a lot. Uh, Do you? Yeah. Cause we have a lot of patients who have vitamin D levels drawn and they're 
in the tank. Yeah. And oh, yeah. it's it's a very unfun topic for dietitians because it's basically like, yep, there's not very many foods with a lot of vitamin D and chances are you probably mm-hmm. don't like those foods anyway. So let's just supplement you. <laughs> like <laughs> it's just it's so easy. I am not a huge supplement pusher at all, but I feel like vitamin D should be in the water. I'm not even kidding. Well, and it's the Hollywood vitamin. Like you said, it's the toxicity Mm -hmm. level is so high and it's good for basically everything. So, Mm -hmm. yep. Why not? Why not just pop a pill? Do it. All right. Mom wins favorite new products or recipes. I've got some. So I put these in the show notes. I'm a huge fan. I think I mentioned it before and I put it on our Instagram story, but the Clio snacks are back. I think they were having distribution issues, but now they're back and they're better than ever. And they're basically like a little Klondike bar. If, if you're if you're trying to envision what this looks like, but they're not frozen. You'll find them with the yogurts. Although I've honestly never been able to find them other than on Amazon. Uh, I know that they've probably sell them at Whole Foods. I know they used to sell them at Giant Eagle, but I've never been able to find them and it's driving me nuts. Uh, But they're chocolate covered Greek yogurt and they come in multiple different flavors and they are just to die for. And going back to our lower carb, lower sugar snack ideas, that's a perfect one. Also, I got some samples of Kodiak. You know, you you love the Kodiak pancakes, the high protein Mm -hmm. pancakes, right? Well, they also have these Kodiak muffins in a cup that you just add hot water to. And then I think you put them in the microwave for maybe two minutes. Have you ever had those? No, but I'm looking at it right now from our link. And okay. Heck yeah. So they're like higher protein, I would say moderate carbohydrates for what they are. And my kids devoured those things. And I didn't feel terrible. I mean, I giving it to them. Not that I ever feel terrible giving them anything, honestly, but, uh, I I think, I think at the time when I gave them this, it was right before dinner and I was like, Oh my gosh, what am I doing? But I was like, you know what? We'll count this as part of their dinner. Cause it was a good source of protein. They could even have a little bit of fiber in there. Yeah. Uh, Uh, Five grams. Okay. There you go. See, see, so those were were 270 calories, seven grams of protein, five grams of fiber, a hundred percent whole grain sold. And Paige pretty much ate an entire one. I might've had two or three bites. But she and she wanted more. And this this girl does not eat that much. I mean, she's a peanut. She doesn't eat a whole lot, but she devoured that. So and that is my recommendation. Right. Do now. it. <laughs> Yum. Use our link. Okay. Well, before I do that, I'll I'll tell you my map wins. Um right, cool. pesto. Pesto. I saw that pesto on your Instagram story. I feel as though that's a pretty it's summery because basil is in season. Uh, my kids helped to pick it. We helped to make it. Uh, and I think that's just an overall win. I actually had somebody on Instagram send me a message this week after uh, they saw some video, one of the probably 3 million that I posted this past week of my kids eating. And mm-hmm. she just said, oh my gosh, like I don't get it. My ne- She does not have children of her own, it sounds like, but her nephew, she's super close with. And she goes, it breaks my heart because he eats basically nothing and she's just concerned that he's missing out on vital nutrients. And so we just had this nice like back and forth on Instagram uh, one night when I should have been asleep and uh, (laughs) way too late. And it was, I, I just said, you know, he was two. I was like, bring him in the kitchen, you know, just anytime you can involve kids in gardening or food preparation, it's, they're going to, they're going to be hooked. And I would say that is the case for pesto in my house. So, uh, pesto in general, I just posted a, I'll include on the show notes, a uh, I call it cheap girl pesto because it doesn't use pine nuts to the tune of $25 a pound. It uses oh, like a mixed nut and it's, nice. it's truly almost as good. It's, I never use pine nuts when I make pesto for that very reason. I've used walnuts in the past. Yeah. And they're so dang expensive. It's highway robbery. Um, and then my other mom win is, well, 
I don't know if you experienced it when you guys were visiting, but Piper is obsessed with cashews. We buy yes, one of those giant containers from Aldi every single week. Oh my gosh. That kid is eating $80 a month in cashews. <laughs> Stop it. Stop. I, I can't afford to, to to parent any longer. Like she needs to find a new home. I mean, <laughs> she oh has expensive gosh. tastes, um, oh but they're gosh. so good for her, but she wants them every morning for breakfast. So for, oh. for the calories sake, cause she doesn't need that many calories for breakfast, uh, uh-huh. for the, the dollar amount, we are now making homemade trail mix breakfast. So I'm including okay. dried banana, like banana chips. Aldi has really good ones that are super low in sugar and, mm-hmm. uh, cashews, like lightly salted, Mm -hmm. some type of a whole grain cereal, just dry, and then dried cherries without added sugar and making some type of a trail mix. And that has um, really helped to just provide a more balanced breakfast and hopefully cut down on the amount of money that I'm spending on cashews. So big win there. And they love it. The only drawback is are we have a nut free school. And so if we're running really late and I need them to take their, like finish their breakfast in school, I have Mm -hmm. to make a nut free version that can go on the road. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's rough, but doable for sure. Yeah. These are, these are good problems. <laughs> nice. So Any, anything else on the mom win? I don't think so. Nobody loves us. We have no okay. new reviews to read. Uh, lame, <laughs> please spend <laughs> 0.2 seconds on iTunes telling us how yeah. fabulous we are. It would be, um, really sweet if you did. And yeah. you want to do this, uh, this sure. ending here? Yeah, so coming up on August 5th, we will be dishing about breastfeeding again. We've already done an episode in the past on breastfeeding, but this one will be all about breastfeeding bloopers. So get ready to laugh. Until then, keep in touch with us on social media at Dietitians Dish Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. Also, please tell your friends about us. They can find us on numerous outlets such as Overcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. If you listen on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. We promise it only takes a few seconds. And you might hear your review read out loud. In fact, you will hear your review read out loud, no matter what it says. Um, Until next time, everyone, be well. And Nicole, talk to you soon. Sounds great. Take care, Gina. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening for the podcast. Bye-bye.